0: It's an education challenge. All political lines.
1: Critical part of our transition to zero carbon economy.
0: Innovation in the financing space.
2: Why aren't we using this natural resource that is given to us every day? $15 billion extra in the economy per year.
0: Long-term emission reduction targets based on the science. We might exceed that and that would be wonderful. In these times of transformation, being open to different ways of doing things.
3: Beyond Zero Emissions. Global warming science, solutions and action.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. It's our special International Women's Day edition of the Beyond Zero show today and we're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the Science and Solutions show and the BZE Community show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher. So please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Kay Winnegal, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Bucknell. Hi, Kay. Hi, listeners. (laughs) And Kira Rundle.
2: Hey, Kay. Good to
1: be here. So as part of the International Women's Day, day, (laughs) we just um, wanted to mention that the former president, Mary Robinson, Irish president, has a great climate change solutions podcast called Mothers of Invention, and it features women from all over the world driving powerful solutions to climate change. It's great listening, especially if you've already heard all the BZE shows. <laughs> International Women's Day is a perfect opportunity for us to showcase some Australian women who are local heroes in the hunt for climate change solutions, as well as advocates for women's in science and technology. So therefore, we present Vanessa Petri, our revered Commander-in-Chief at Beyond Zero Emissions, and a prime example of the impactful work that can flow from an engineering back- background and education. Our other guest today is another woman with an engineering background, Hannah Sharp, environmental planner with Arab, an engineering consultancy, and team. Mem- and she's also a team member of SolarTook, which is a truly remarkable solar adventure you'll find out a little bit more about later. Hi, Vanessa.
3: Hi, Kay. Hi, Kira. Hey,
1: And hi, Hannah. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So women account for only 16% of people qualified in STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering and maths. And that's astonishing given the engaging and rewarding careers that are available through STEM studies. Hannah, your STEM career has been very enriching and exciting. Can you tell us a bit about it?
0: Yeah, I suppose it hasn't been a very traditional career path as you might think no. about schools. Um, I graduated from university with a degree in environmental engineering and started work at a consultancy, Arup, when I was a graduate. And after that, it's been um, a bit of a whirlwind. So I, I started in water infrastructure, then worked in sustainability consulting, which was related to engineering but not directly—not uh, directly working as an engineer. After that, it was project management, and now some more environmental planning, and um, a lot of adventures and travel in between that.
1: And Vanessa, why are you so passionate about STEM?
3: Because it's fun to start with but there are the solutions many of the solutions we need to tackle climate change are based in science and engineering and maths and if we're going to if we're going to really get on top of climate and you know implement the solutions we know exist we can't just have you know we need diversity in the workforce it's we know we need diversity in all sorts of workplaces it's the same in the science and technology field we all have like different perspectives we bring so you know 16% I'm still shocked to be honest it's not really moved since I was a student so we need to bring lots of people in we need their outlook on life we need their experience and we can't do that as long as we've only got 16% women um, in the STEM workforce.
1: It's interesting today every single one of us including Kira and Nat Mm. have got engineering backgrounds so Kira can you tell me a bit more about what your thoughts are on STEM?
2: Yeah, so um, as some of the listeners might know, I'm currently in the last month of my PhD in material science and engineering, so I'm planning to hand in my thesis in three short weeks. <laughs> yeah. um, that so that's very fine. exciting. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, so being in the university, it's given me a lot of opportunities actually to spread the word about women in STEM and how important it is that more women become involved in taking these types of subjects. And so one of the ways that I've been involved... Has been through an organization called Sisters in Science, which uh, is a local organization started uh, out of came out of Monash, and basically we work with different stu- uh, different high schools around uh, the city. And we go and visit them and kind of just give the students, high school age girls, a perspective on studying STEM subjects. And I think there's still a lot of misconceptions around. Students and particularly girls' ability to succeed in this area. And it's been really enriching for me to be a part of a community and an organization that's trying to
3: break those norms. So that's been really good. For I me. would have loved to have you come to my school when I was a <laughs> high school student. I, for a long time, thought I was not good at maths. And just thinking that I wasn't good at maths, you know. I- <laughs> Didn't try hard. Didn't mm. think that I could work it out. And you know, I had a great teacher halfway through high school, yeah. and that completely changed everything for me. Had I have had you come to me, because I used to love playing buildings and you know construction, it would have it would have changed my mind a lot earlier. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I had some really pivotal pivotal female um, mentors as mm. well when I was going through high school and university, and I don't think I ever would have gone into research without having those. Women encourage me, so it's really important that as women we stick together and encourage each other.
1: And it's a really interesting story, Vanessa. I had the same thing with maths. I was hopeless at it, and women were expected to be hopeless at it anyway. So I just believed they were right until I got to a point where, I, as a mature age student, I had to learn maths, and and I was terrific at it actually.
3: You know, <laughs> I read um, a book a few years ago called The Delusion of Gender by I think Cordelia Fine, and she has a lot of she just presents a lot of experiments and there are experiments where they'd run control groups of people doing maths tests and when they told the control group of women women aren't very good at maths so you probably won't do very well at this Mm. they told another control group this is like very similar to doing design and fashion these skills so we find women perform a lot better just by telling those women different stories change the result and another thing that really floored me was even the act of having to write your gender on a math test changed the performance that's incredible isn't it yeah Mm. math seems to be a subject that can psych out both male and females Mm. too so you know there's a a general issue around maths and just perceptions of ability in maths Uh, it would be interesting whether that that, those experiments played out the same way with males Mm. and
1: I'm sure you, were prob- you excelled at maths, so I'll, I'll give you a maths problem. for <laughs> that. <laughs> why do you think we only have one day for women every year?
0: Oh, that's a big question. I, I just
1: thought about it and I thought, what, why do we have, we're celebrating a day of, of um, women. It's just crazy. Why aren't we celebrating the rest of the 364 days?
0: You know, I think it's certainly a day that we we can focus on women, and and having that day is really important in terms of, like these sorts of conversations, and it's a good platform for having those conversations with people you might normally not talk to about that. But I think it's what's been really exciting, certainly since I've been working in the last few years, is the presence of women in the workplace, and more of these conversations, having like more organisations popping up, more conferences popping up that are women-focused and women-led. That so that's really exciting that it's not just really International Women's Day. It's the only day, just the day we can really spotlight it. But I think there's a lot more happening throughout the year and hopefully it becomes more normal Like we don't need a day to focus on how wonderful women are because they're fantastic and able and confident and doing amazing things, that it's just part of every day. So mm. it's wonderful that we have a special day to really focus on that. But I think it's really exciting that it's happening more and more just throughout the everyday.
1: So perhaps we should have a Women's Month
0: or every <laughs> I mean, month. that would be really fantastic. We've got a bit of catching up to do in terms of uh, telling our history of all the cool things women are doing and showcasing that a bit more. So,
1: Vanessa, why are women in STEM important in dealing with climate change?
3: Well, firstly, because we're all important, all of us in the community, so therefore it's a bit of a problem if, you know, a lot of us are missing in action and we've got some talking about it earlier we we've, we bring different histories to the table that when we come to work we may be we may all come to work as engineers but we've got different life experiences outside of our work and that changes the way um, we look at problems we solve problems we come up with ideas so in addition to having your technical background your life experience that you bring really enriches the workforce and I love creating stuff. I like coming up with things and the most exciting teams I've I've run have been really diverse teams because everyone thinks differently and it makes the problem solving process really exciting. So if you just have a whole lot of people who are pretty much similar with similar life experience, you're not going to get that diversity of problem solving and creativity in the room. And, you know, what we need with climate is we need to stop the problem admiring. We've got to move into solution mode. We've got to create It's very easy to critique, but we need to move into creativity and we need all of the community to do that. So we definitely need women who have studied, you know, in those STEM fields to be able to participate. And it's really interesting to see how many
1: women are leading so many organisations within the climate movement. Mm. It's been quite impressive, Mm -hmm. I think.
3: It reminds me when I was studying environmental engineering um, in the 1990s, my course was really unusual in that it was the first one in Australia, apparently, but Mm. also three quarters of the students were women. And I think on average across RMIT, women were only around 15% in all the other courses.
1: Wow. Wow. Wow.
3: Because when I did my
1: master's in environmental Mm. engineering, I think that was in the early 90s, they had to sort of cobble together a course. They just didn't know what Mm -hmm. it was, how it's supposed to look.
2: Yeah, and I think that's even true for five years ago. I mean, when I was starting my bachelor's, all right, that was a little bit longer than five years ago, but I knew from when I was in high school that I wanted to do renewable energy-related engineering work, and that just didn't exist at the university. And so... I think um, the fact that a lot of these courses are female dominated just shows how motivated we are in this area, which is really inspiring for me as well.
3: Did you? Did anyone read one million women and the ACF did that report and they found that yeah, was it women in their thirties are the most motivated to tackle climate change? Mm. Wow, yeah. uh, that
1: doesn't surprise me well. though. I don't want to change the subject, but really I want to know about the Solar Took expedition. <laughs> we all do.
3: <laughs> We're all hanging to
0: hear about it. That's me. So, the Solar Took, for people that don't know, and there's probably a few of you that didn't see the bright red Took Trip driving up the East Coast last year was a project with me and some other fellow adventurers last year to really raise awareness on climate change, but more specifically the role of transport in emissions and just the importance of trying to tackle that, not just the electricity problem. So we cooked up an idea to drive a bright red tuk-tuk, so a three-wheeled rickshaw that's (laughs) more home in Thailand than it is in Melbourne, painted a bright red with uh, with some solar panels on the top with some help from some wonderful RMIT kids and drove up the east coast of Australia for about three weeks. And it was all a big advocacy project, I suppose, so just having those conversations because, you know, you can't really walk past a bright red tuk-tuk and not ask what's going on.
1: How many of you were there?
0: uh, It changed. There was about four of us at the start and it grew to about eight people by the end, I think. So we had another support vehicle driving along with us. We didn't (laughs) all have to thankfully squeeze into the tuk-tuk. It it
1: would have been a very (laughs) slow trip with all that weight.
0: (laughs) Uh, it was already a bit of a slow trip because um, it doesn't have doors on it. We were limited to fifty k's an hour, so mm. and that was on the flat. But it was a it was a fantastic trip, and really just the conversations you have with people on the street and students at the school, or you know, some uh, we we spoke to people that were coal miners and truckies and people that weren't you would think really engaged in the climate debate, but those people were really keen to know what was going on and what they could do and what the future held. Great. So wow. those conversations were really interesting.
2: So explain to us a little bit more about the tuk-tuk itself. Was it an electrified tuk-tuk and those solar panels were charging a battery or how did it work exactly? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so we were lucky we got a fully electric tuk-tuk from a manufacturer, manufacturer in Thailand and a supplier in Australia. And when it had batteries on it when we bought it, so luckily we didn't have to do a full motor conversion, although that would have been a wonderful problem for our dear students and not <laughs> me, so it <laughs> fine but they converted it from um, the lead-acid batteries to the Tesla batteries, so we had much more capacity in those batteries, and then put solar panels on the top. And we had a power point as well we could charge because we we were doing quite long kilometres every day, so we needed to top it up with with the wall charger, but luckily we were able to stay with people that had solar panels in their roof or were using renewable energy, so we could try and make sure it was as clean and green as we could
2: And how did you um, find those people who you ended up staying with?
0: It was a a mix of people that we already knew. And then we just sort of put the word out through schools and, and I guess, professional networks that we had, people that we knew, friends of friends. And gradually the word spread that we had people just from, you know, Gympie that we'd never met before saying, hey, I saw your story on Facebook or I heard it on the radio or something, come and stay with me or come and visit my school or come and work with our
1: community group along the way out so we barely had to lift a finger which was absolutely an amazing response mm. If you just tuned in we're talking to Hannah Sharp from the Solitude Expedition and Vanessa Petrie from Beyond Zero Emissions Hannah you mentioned also that along the way you went to schools and Kira made the point earlier about female mentors and people like you talking at schools I think would be very important for young children especially girls to see that get their way into STEM.
0: Yeah, I think it was and we had, I think I was echoing the comment before that I wish I had more people doing it when I was growing up. It's not only, I think, you know, you can't be what you can't see is something I've heard before and it's certainly really important to have people going and saying this is what you can do when you grow up and it doesn't matter if you're male, female or anything in between. So we talk to a lot of students about what it means to be an engineer, and I think that's another big misconception that, you know, an engineer is just a middle-aged guy with a you know, bad taste in fashion doing maths all day. Um, certainly some people I talk to, a lot of girls still have that idea that that's what an engineer is. So I think there's a lot of work we can do around changing what it means to be an engineer and actually what that looks like.
1: Yeah.
2: And a lot of
0: the conversation as well was just talking about different ways to contribute to climate change. It doesn't have to be a technical route. So you can do a lot of other things that doesn't, maybe, maybe you just don't like math. So, you know, maybe there's other ways you can go through the more science route or anything else. It doesn't have to be one way of contributing. So a lot of those conversations were about the diversity of people and the diversity of skills that we need in this space.
3: I was going to say, Hannah. Also, I think a lot of people think that engineering is quite formulaic and repetitive, mm. yeah. and it's incredibly creative. Can you explain yeah, it that a bit more? So you might have visions of, well, for example, a lot of engineering can just follow can follow a standard, speeds up the process. That can be very exciting. But you know, a couple of years ago, I was at a, a breakfast that we were presenting at, and one of the um, senior engineers talking about engineers and sustainability and climate change got up and said. As engineers, we need to stop um, using the cookbooks and start engineering again. And I think that, for me, is exactly what engineering is about. It's about Mm. creating a vision and then working out how to achieve it. Mm -hmm. In fact, we've got these really great books at home called Engie Bear, and it teaches kids about the process of engineering. And really, they're three books about the engineering characters that create a city. Yeah,
1: cool. So, Hannah, have you noticed any difference in the communities around Australia? Were you received differently in different areas? Especially talking about climate change.
0: I would have thought so, but the questions that we got were all the same and we got such a fantastic response the whole way along. Um, I mean, the landscape's obviously changed significantly from uh, central Melbourne to cattle country up in Queensland. It was amazingly diverse, but uh, it was interesting. The same conversations came up again, uh, people being really aware of this issue, people wanting to know more about this issue and really always coming back to, what can I do? Um, And that's something that I've heard for years is people really having that keen interest in getting involved in doing what they can, but not really sure where to get started or what to do that's actually going to make a difference. So, yeah, like I said, we met people that were cattle farmers and coal miners and sugarcane farmers and people in the city and people in the country. And they were all really wanting to know more. That curiosity was the common thread throughout the whole thing.
1: Because you went from Melbourne up, right up through Cairns and so mm-hmm. that meant that you crossed through areas where coal mining is very important and has a lot yep. of jobs but you're saying you still talk to coal miners that were really interested.
0: Yeah, I spoke to a couple of coal miners and certainly not to say that, that we still need to do some more work around communication because there was an idea that renewable energy wasn't really enough or that electric vehicles or, but they're made out of you know coal-powered fire Power plants. So, what's the point? So, mm. there was that curiosity there that, that led them to ask those questions. But I think there was a still there was a few misconceptions in some of the places. But having those conversations, people were certainly open minded enough to hear that information and have those discussions and go away knowing a little bit more than they did before and wanting to find out more. But certainly in the in the schools, those kids are super well informed. So those teachers are doing an amazing job.
1: That's good to hear. Yeah. That was very cool. So, Vanessa, you recently helped chair a workshop, Women in Action in Climate Emergency, as part of the Sustainable Living Festival.
3: Can you tell us about that workshop? Yes, it was facilitated by Heidi Lee and um, and Giselle, who's the chair of the Sustainable Living Foundation. And it was a chance for women to have space to think about what is it that they can do in their own life and um, their own sphere of influence to act on climate and um, Heidi, who led it, um, really wanted to give women that space to think about what it is they could do. So we um, we took um, an amazing group of women. We, we went through a backcasting exercise, where we thought first of all we asked ourselves the question: What kind of world um, do we want in 2030? And then five years before that, what will we need? What will have need to have occurred in order for our world to become a reality? And then. A few years before that, what, so what is it that we need to do within the next two years? Um, so it was an opportunity to work out what's important to us and to develop a bit of a personal action plan for what we want to do. And it was really great. They um, had an amazing bunch of women from, you know, all different backgrounds. Um, and yeah, I had a really good time.
2: <laughs> Can you tell us an example of, I guess, something that you thought about doing in the next two years?
3: Yes, and it's work-related. So we're doing place-based reports this year. We're taking all of our research and doing repowering our regions, doing reports for different regions. And I thought that, you know, I can't... I'm looking for climate books for my little e and I, I really There's some good ones, but there's really no climate book that teaches kids in a fun way about solutions. So my um, task is to contact the author of NG Bear and if he's listening to this it might be the first <laughs> time he's hearing it. I want to contact him and see if he might be interested in developing a repowering Munagong kids book. Um, Munagong is the fictitious town that the, these engineering bears do all their work mm. so I thought that could be, that would be cool. yeah. yeah so instead of you know taking what we're doing for you know Northern Territory and Collie actually putting it into a kids book and then it's a really accessible way of, te- of families and kids finding out about the technology that sounds yeah. Excellent. That sounds fantastic. Okay. Awesome. I think that would be brilliant because also it you know not only educates kids but whenever you're educating kids, you're often feeding upwards and outwards and and encouraging adults to make that part of the mainstream conversation. Uh, totally, and that's what Vivian um, from our Monday show, you know, has, has said to me. She said if you if you teach the kids, then the the families are going to be included as well.
2: I remember <laughs> when I got my five minute shower timer. Mm-hmm when I was, like, in first grade or something, and I brought it home, and then the rest of my family had to take five-minute showers for like, the rest of the year. <laughs> no, it's a <laughs> <the> perfect example. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Carrie, you were talking earlier about what you're doing in terms of women in engineering. Can mm-hmm. you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, so I guess I'm just trying to get the word out. And as I mentioned earlier, I had some really pivotal pivotal mentors um, when I was going through not only high school but also my bachelor's degree and so I really it's really important to me to pay that forward so I wouldn't be where I am today if it hadn't been for Celine Cohn and Aaron Ratcliffe (laughs) who I might send this podcast to later. Uh, They just got a, a really nice acknowledgement in my PhD thesis because I would not be where I am today without them and so it's really important to me to pay that forward as well and I think As I said before, women were stronger when we worked together, and so it's important to me to, yeah, just help out as many women as I can.
1: And Hannah, I know you're also involved with Engineers Without Borders, aren't you?
0: Yeah, so a little bit less actively at the moment just because I've been overseas for quite a while, but certainly um, a long history of involvement with Engineers Without Borders and started when I first graduated from university. Um, And back then, South Australian chapter was an idea. So it had fallen by the wayside, unfortunately, um, a few years earlier. So it was myself and a few of my colleagues and and friends from university that decided to pick that back up and and try and reinvigorate things in South Australia and getting a chapter back off the ground and involving the universities. And um, those university chapters, from what I hear, are going great guns. So that was really exciting, just to meet all the people in the space in South Australia doing amazing things and connect with um, different chapters and different people um, throughout Australia. Um, And I was lucky enough to travel to India as part of their um, design summits over there. So it was two or three weeks uh, in-country learning about uh, humanitarian engineering and learning about working across cultures and learning about working in a community and all these different strategies and ideas and um, approaches to working in a different space, and that was one of the best things I've ever done and certainly shaped my career forward, I think.
2: Oh, humanitarian engineering, that sounds so interesting. I know ANU just announced that they're offering humanitarian engineering as a minor from this year. Yeah, which
0: is really cool. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah I would have loved yeah, to have that option when I was studying. Me
0: too, even just a subject on it. I think there's a couple of other unis that offer a subject in it. Mm. Um, and certainly you can do the um, EWB project when you're in first year engineering, I think if you're a partner university. So something like that, when I was going through, would have really opened my eyes to the whole world of engineering that mm. you don't necessarily see when you're, when you're studying or necessarily when you're working, I suppose, as well. Um, so that's exciting that it's getting a whole lot more traction and visibility.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, I love
0: that.
1: Mm. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's a long time coming, though, unfortunately. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think there's lessons that you can translate across. Like, you don't have to be working in rural Nepal to really need what you learn from this sort of thing. So it's a different way of working, a different way of problem-solving, a different way of communicating across cultures. And we're talking about diversity. Uh, We we need more diversity, and so we need more tools now, you know, to to talk to people that maybe have come from a different background, uh, different skill set, different way of seeing the world. So these sorts of skills that you might learn in something like humanitarian engineering I think are really transferable and really important.
1: So that's a great note to end up on because we've run out of time. It's unbelievable, isn't it? that (laughs)
3: was So where can our listeners find out more, Hannah? Uh,
0: So if you're wanting to know more about Engineers Without Borders, um, just Google them and you'll find hopefully a chapter in your region. Um, there's chapters around all of Australia and in a lot of the universities, so just have a Google and you hopefully you can find someone near you. Um, Solartook.org is if you want to read more about Solartook, um, and there's hopefully more adventures coming soon, so watch the space. <laughs> um, and I, I'm lucky enough to work for Arup, so if you're heading down the engineering career route, I'd really encourage them to, give you, uh, to Google them, and um, we're doing some amazing, amazing projects. and yeah. Invite people to have a look. Thanks
1: very much for your time today, Hannah, and thank you Thanks very much for having me. Thanks. We've been speaking to Vanessa Petrie from Beyond Zero Emissions and Hannah Sharp from the Solar Took Expedition for a special International Women's Day episode of The Beyond Zero Show. The Beyond Zero Show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and is syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the show and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZD website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. It's an education challenge. All political lines. Critical part of our transition to zero carbon economy.
0: Innovation in the financing space.
1: Why aren't we using this natural resource that is given to
2: us every day? $15 billion extra in the economy per year.
0: Long-term emission reduction targets based on the science. We might exceed that and that would be wonderful. In these times of transformation, being open to different ways of doing things. Beyond Zero Emissions.
3: Global warming science, solutions and action. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.